Hey, good morning, CVC. Pastor Chad here, and great to be with you today. Thanks again for inviting us to be with you where you're at. And man, what a week that we've had, and really what a, what a few months that we've had. And I tell you what, all the voices that we have been hearing, it's just, it's just overwhelming right now. And social media, it is a hot mess out there. So my hope is that right now, in this moment, that we can take a breath and then we can pause and that we can rally together around the teaching of God's word because of all the voices out there right now, the voice that matters most is God's word. And we need to align our heart, align our minds to the truths we find in God's word because honestly, a lot of us have been reading a lot of other people's voices and listening to other people's voices in the God's word. And so this is a moment, this is a time where we can rally together to say, God, what do you want to say? What do you want to show us? So with that, would you just take a minute? Let's just pray together before we dive into our teaching time. Let's pray. Well, Father, first and foremost, we praise you that you are in charge. Even when we see the world sometimes falling apart around us, you are absolutely sovereign. Uh, you're in charge, even when it doesn't feel like it, even when it doesn't seem like it. Lord, you will allow uh, the destruction and the difficulties that we see somehow glorify yourself, somehow be used for good. So God, help us to be in that place of trust and surrender in the midst of all that we've been seeing and hearing and experiencing. Father, we confess that uh, a lot of us have spent way too much time, way too much energy listening to a lot of other people, a lot of other voices, and we have not been listening to yours. So Lord, would you help us right now as we open your word to listen to your voice, and we would ask in the name of Jesus that you would speak to our hearts and speak to our minds and bring transformation to us right now as we spend this time in your word. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. As we've been processing all that's been going on this week, a, a story came to my mind. There was an incident that happened to me years ago. Years ago, I was working for a lumber yard in Central Valley, California. And on occasion, sometimes several times a week, uh, I would get in a big truck with another guy or two, and we would load it up with materials for an order, and we'd go up the mountain uh, to deliver, a lot of times for a cabin that was being built in the mountains. And so one time we did that. We got in the truck like we normally do and loaded it up with lumber and sheetrock and supplies and started trekking up the mountains uh, for this cabin to deliver. And about 20 minutes out of our town, as we started climbing the hill, noticed a little bit of smoke on the side of the road. And instantly we realized it was a small fire, just 10 to 20 feet of burned dry grass there in uh, Central Valley, California. And instantly it was like, what are our options? What are our choices right now? Option A, just keep driving. Someone else will take care of it. Uh, we didn't light the fire. Not our problem. We'll just keep going. Option B, uh, call 911, call the fire department. Uh, they'll be out here. It's their job. It's what we pay them for. They'll take care of it. Option C was really like, we need to stop and we need to try to do something about this. Well, which one felt like the right one in the moment? The last option. 
Because if you know anything about fires and dry grass, within minutes it could have been acres of burning uh, uh, acreage and, and, and um, grass. And so we pulled over, and also a few other cars pulled over. And the next thing I know, there's this, this small army of people with, we had our floor mats, some of us had fire extinguishers, some of us had water bottles, and we put out this little fire, and then we called the fire department to let them know where it was so they could follow up and make sure it didn't reignite. It was just the right thing to do. Look, we didn't start the fire, but it was our responsibility, we felt in the moment, to put it out. And honestly, I think that's a mindset that's so important for us right now as we look at what's going on in the world. There's a lot of things going on that are not our fault. But as you read God's word, you realize it's our responsibility to do something about it. Like some of you, you've had personal trauma in your life that wasn't your fault. But you know what? It's your responsibility to heal from the trauma. Some of you have had uh, wounds that have been brought into your life, not at your fault, but it's your responsibility to forgive and to move on. Even something as simple that, and my kids know this in my house, if I'm going through my house and I see a big mess, something that's spilled or knocked over, look, I might not have been the person that was at fault, but now it's my responsibility because I found the mess and I need to clean it. And as we have thought about this word that we've been hearing a lot this week about injustice and specifically racial injustice, look, racial injustice, racism might not be our fault, but it's our responsibility to do something about it. It's, it's happening on our watch. And so we need to take care of helping others that are hurting, that either because they're hurting because they're the perpetrators of racial injustice, but more specifically, the victims of racial injustice. And you might be thinking, man, is, is this something that we're going to find in the Bible? And yes, it is. And so I want to invite you to a text today, a very uh, popular text. We've taught it here multiple times as a church. Um, if you've been in church at any length of time in your life, You've seen this text. You've heard this text. But I want to take you to Luke chapter 10. So open up your Bibles right now with me. Fire up your Bible apps right now with me. And look at Luke chapter 10. And as we go into Luke chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 25. And I want you to have this framework in your mind. Just because something's not your fault doesn't mean it's not your responsibility. Because that's what we're going to rally a lot of this teaching around. Now, in Luke chapter 10... Verse 25, before we get there, it's going to be part of a, a new series that we're kicking off today. And the new series is called No Filter. And we as a church have been going in and out of the book of Luke, uh, the gospel of Luke for about the last year and a half. Well, we're going back into the gospel of Luke right now for our summer series. And we're, we're going to be looking at a lot of red letters, a lot of teaching of Jesus in, in the next few months. And here's what we find. Uh, sometimes we put a filter on the teachings of Jesus. Uh, let me illustrate it this way. We've got these handy dandy phones right here, right? And so uh, we take pictures of somebody. So take a picture of you. And then we pull it up and go, oh, look, I want to edit the picture. And then we pick the filter option. And then we have options that the filter. So I've got the original. And then let's see, ooh, vivid. I can make my picture vivid or vivid warm. Uh, maybe it's dramatic. I can make it dramatic. I can make it uh, silver tone or cool. Like we have all these filters that we can modify the image to make it the way we want it to be. Honestly, a lot of times when we read the teachings of Jesus, we do the same thing. 
we apply these filters. Ooh, that, that's too uncomfortable. I'm going to put the uh, soft and squishy filter on that to make it more palatable for what I want to hear. Ooh, I'm going to put the political filter on that because I think I can take that verse out of the Bible and stick it to my political views and, and make it give more weight. Or sometimes we, we have the avoidance filter. Like, I'm just going to put that filter on there because I don't really want to um, digest what I just read. It's too uncomfortable. You name it. Well, we're going to be spending the next few months just looking at the teachings of Jesus with no filter. Let's look at what he said, even some of the difficult things he said, and deal with it. Well, here in Luke chapter 10, uh, I'm doing a little bit of a pivot. This was not my original passage that I had um, scheduled for the starting of the series. But I feel because of what has happened in the last week, we've got to look at this passage. And we have to look at it without a filter. And so look at Luke 10, 25 with me. And what we're about to see is not just one story, but really two. It's two stories. And so I'll unpack that. So what I want to do is just sit with you for a minute, and I want to read and teach, and then read and teach through Luke chapter 10. So let's uh, find ourselves in Luke chapter 10, and let's start in verse 25. And here's what we see. It says, And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he, that would be Jesus, said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he, the lawyer, said to him, Jesus, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Let's just stop right there. What do we see happening here? We have a lawyer. Not the kind of lawyer that you're going to hire because you've got you know, some sort of uh, lawsuit going on. This is a religious lawyer, meaning that he's an expert in the Jewish law, the Jewish religion, the Jewish traditions. And so this guy basically knows the scriptures backwards, forwards, inside out. He's got them memorized. He's an expert in the Jewish religious law. And what we see is that he's coming to Jesus with a question to test him. And so he, he's really challenging Jesus. He's curious what he's going to say, but he's got an agenda here. And so he puts this question out here, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Which, by the way, is one of the most important questions anybody can ever ask. What do I need to do to get to heaven? What do I need to do to be made right with God? And so Old Testament in the Bible, New Testament in the Bible, uh, God made it very clear that there's this kingdom that he wants us to be part of. And we refer to it often as heaven. So what do I need to do to inherit heaven? Notice he said do. He sees it as something that he has to achieve. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Well, Jesus does a little bit of spiritual judo here. Okay, he flips it back on him. Well, what do you read? And of course, because he's an expert, he comes right out with it. He goes right after what we know as the great commandment. You shall love the Lord your God, right? With all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. I love what Jesus does here. He says, then go and do it. You've answered right, go and do it. But this is a fork in the road, because here's the reality. What Jesus is trying to get to is, you have to perfectly do this. You have to absolutely bring everything under submission to the love of the Lord. I mean, that all areas are 100% perfectly surrendered to God. Let me ask you a question. Is that where you're at? Are you in a place where you can say, I love God with everything. There is no rock unturned. I'm holding nothing back. I'm 100% in. No. You're not there. I'm not there. You know why? Because we can't be. 
We're always holding back. That sin nature is always uh, mutinying against the flesh and against the spirit. And so what happens is he's trying to get the lawyer to realize kind of the answer Jesus is looking for is like, well, I'll do my best, but in reality, I can't. I'm not capable of loving God that way. I'm not capable of loving my neighbor perfectly and selflessly. That's really what Jesus is poking at. But do you see what the, neighbor, what the lawyer does? He kind of sidesteps it, and he uses a filter. He's using the filter of justification. Look what we see in the next verse, verse 29. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who's my neighbor? Do you think this is a genuine question? You think he's really asking, like, I don't understand, Jesus. Like, well, who is my neighbor? No. He's basically saying, where are the boundaries? Where's the fence? Where's the ceiling? Who do I not have to apply this to? This is really the heart behind what the lawyer is saying. Well, who's my neighbor? He's trying to justify his point of view. He's trying to justify his opinion. Hey, look, this is who I want to love. Who are you saying? And in the Jewish mindset at this time, the way they saw their neighbor was basically other Jews, those like them, those who think like them, eat like them, look like them. That's really the limited application of neighbor in this context. And so I think what the lawyer is trying to do here is get Jesus to affirm that so he felt justified, right about his perspective, right in his own eyes. So this is the first story. This is the story of a man asking Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And of course, the reality is you can't do anything because the bar is so high, you'll never hit it. But instead of getting that, this lawyer is trying to justify himself. And so Jesus brings on the second story that many of us are so familiar with. It's the story of the, of the uh, Good Samaritan. And so let's see the story that Jesus unfolds here. Look at verse 30 in Luke 10. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So let's just unpack this a little bit. This is a very realistic story that Jesus is saying. This isn't going to feel like fiction to his audience. Because uh, what he's basically saying is that the temple, which is on you know, Mount of Jerusalem, uh, this Levite, which is really a worship leader, a very uh, spiritual man of God, a priest, uh, the highest echelon of society, well-dressed, fine um, clothes, fine food, and well-thought-of, super religious. You've got the super religious priest, the super Super-religious Levite, they encounter a man who'd been beaten. Now, the road is actually a road that still exists, but this road is an interesting road uh, that Jesus is referring to in his story. It would be a, about a 17-mile-long road that descends about 3,300 feet. So it's up and down a mountain. And it was known as a dangerous road because of all the twists and turns in the wilderness. There were places for robbers to hide and come out. There were caves to hide in. And so it was a dangerous road. You didn't travel it alone typically, and you definitely didn't want to travel it at night. And so this man in the story, which is also implied to be a Jewish man, okay, that's what would connect with the audience of Jesus, ends up going on this road. He's attacked by robbers. They beat him, leave him for half dead. And then all of a sudden, you have two people into the story. 
that because of their love for God, because of the scriptures that they know and have memorized, would have been the two people you would think most would care for this guy, that they would be loving, they would be compassionate, they would be helpful. But what did they do? They turned and looked away, and they physically rerouted themselves and went a different direction. Now, here's the thing. A lot of commentators unpack, like, well, why why would they have done that? That's not the point. The point that Jesus is making is that they avoided the situation. That's the bottom line. They were passive. They were indifferent. They showed no love. They showed no mercy for someone who was hurt on the side of the road. That's the point that Jesus was making here. And so... Uh, there's no care given by the ones that you would expect to give it most. And so Jesus was uh, highlighting their passivity and their indifference. Now, he continues with the story because now we still need a hero. These two guys failed, so let's enter the hero. And so look with me at the next verses, verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had, what's that word there? Compassion. And he went to him. Where the other two went on the other side, the Samaritan went to him. And he bound up his wounds. He poured oil and wine on the wounds. He set him on his own animal. He brought him to an inn. He took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii, two coins, gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. This is where it gets really interesting. Jesus brings the Samaritan. And some of you know this already, but this is where we have to be careful because a lot of us apply a filter here when we read the story. Jesus using the Samaritan was a racial scenario. Jesus just inserted racial tension into the story. So we cannot put the raceless filter on this passage and simply say the Good Samaritan is just about doing nice things for other people. That's true, but there's a lot more depth here. And Jesus gets at the depth of what he's trying to communicate by introducing racial tension. Now, for those of you that aren't familiar with this, the Samaritans uh, are the ancestors of people who used to live in northern Israel. So 750 years before Jesus ever walked the earth, the Syrians came in, conquered the northern kingdom of Israel, deported most of the Jews, but some of the Jews remained. And some of those Jews intermarried with the Syrians. And so uh, later on, when the Jews returned back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, uh, these Samaritans, as they were known, came to try to help, but uh, the Jews refused their help. So the Samaritans built their own temple to worship uh, in their own country. And, And at that point in time, there became this division, this animosity between the Samaritans and the Jews. The Jews hated the Samaritans. They were considered religiously unclean. They were considered ethnically unclean. And so they had great um, anger, hostility, and hatred for the Samaritans. Here's an example. One time Jesus in John chapter 8, you can look this up, John chapter 8, maybe verse 48, not sure on the, uh, the second reference there. But Jesus was debating with religious leaders. 
never a good idea. Jesus is always going to win. But here's the bottom line. Jesus was debating with them. They were losing. They got so angry. They just tried to reach for the, the worst names that they could come up with to call Jesus. Guess what they called him? You're a, you're a, you're a Samaritan and you're demon possessed. Like that's the best they could come up with. So they reached to the bottom of the barrel and that shows you how much disdain they had for Samaritans. So for Jesus to use a Samaritan as the hero of the story in a Jewish context was repulsive. It was repulsive to his audience. They didn't see it coming and have a hard time digesting it. And so look at what this Samaritan does. He encounters someone that's hurt, that needs help, and then he uses his time, his effort, his resources, and and his compassion on the one who needed it most. It wasn't his fault that that man was beaten up on the side of the road. But the Samaritan in the example of Jesus saw it as his responsibility to do something about the situation. And so uh, we even see that Jesus is using the Samaritan as an example of overcoming all barriers to make a difference. And so the Samaritan was willing to overcome even the racial barriers that existed to help this man. Jesus used the racial example. It's in the Bible. You can't filter that out. You know, Martin Luther King gave his last speech on April 3rd, 1968 in Memphis, Tennessee. And it's titled, I've Been to the Mountaintop. And in that last speech, before he was assassinated the next day, he used this parable of the Good Samaritan in that speech. And here's what Dr. King said. He says, as you know, it's possible that the priest and the Levite looked over that man on the ground and wondered if the robbers were still around. Or it's possible that they felt that the man on the ground was merely faking and he was acting like he'd been robbed and hurt in order to seize them uh, over there, lure them in for a quick and easy seizure. And so the first question that priest asked, the first question the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But the good Samaritan came by and he reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? You and I are going to encounter people probably every day that need help. We so often can find ourselves being the priest and the Levite. And we find ourselves going like, man, if I take the time to help this person, how's that going to affect me? How's that going to set me back on my time? How's that going to set me back with my wallet, my bank account? Um, Well, what if there's something fishy here? And there's definitely times to to be wise (laughs) in certain situations, not to be naive. But it's different to try to find justification to not engage hurting people. And I love what Dr. King here says. He says, you got to flip the question. What will happen to this person if I don't help? And so as we look around right now and we look at all uh, that's burning, all that's broken, because again, we're reminded about the racial injustice that exists in our culture and how that was thrust to the spotlight in recent weeks. And of course, the George Floyd incident and all the ones leading up to that and years and years of ones leading up to that. There's a situation here where a lot of us as believers in Christ need to look at what's going on with racial injustice injustice as a whole, right? And go, what happens if we don't do? anything. Is that really being a faithful follower of Christ? And so we agree with Martin Luther King here that we need to show compassion and love to our neighbor and ask, what will happen if we don't engage? What will happen if we don't help? Hey, look, it might not be your fault, whatever you stumble upon, but that doesn't mean it's not your responsibility to do something about it. And so whatever trouble we might find our neighbor in, 
we need to be available to help. Now, I want to continue to see what happens as Jesus tells this story. Look at verse uh, 36. Jesus says to that lawyer, which of these three do you think proved? I love that. It's approved. His actions proved who he was. Who do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. You know, by the way, the word neighbor literally means near. So who's your neighbor? Whoever's near you at the moment. (laughs) And whoever you become, I think, aware of that needs help. And so this lawyer, I don't think we get a sense here that his heart really changed. I mean, one of the evidences that we see here is he couldn't even say the word Samaritan. The answer to the question Jesus answered is, who's the one that proved to be the good neighbor? The answer is the Samaritan. What did he say? Well, it's, it's the guy, that one, that, that one dude. He is the one. He couldn't even bring himself to see Samaritan. You know, I could just hear it now. Maybe the lawyer, because his heart hadn't changed, is still trying to find himself justifying his desire to only help those who are like him and could do something back for him. And so maybe it sounds like this in his mind. Well, what if the guy doesn't read the scriptures? What if the guy doesn't go to temple? What if he doesn't follow the traditions? What if he doesn't eat something uh, that's clean or eat something that's unclean according to Jewish law? I think he still has this framework. It's the sense we get here. He still has a framework to disqualify himself from being the good neighbor. And I think when we step back and go, we're going to be like one of these three as we walk out of life as a follower of Christ. We're either going to be like the Levite, like the priest, or we're going to be like the Samaritan. And you can't remove the racial piece from this. And so a lot of times we're willing to help engage with people we feel safe or that are like us, but are we willing to overcome barriers to help people who are different, especially if they're racially different? That's why we're in this mess that we're in. After over 200 years in our country, still dealing with racial injustice and racial tensions, we have to overcome that and be a good neighbor to one another like Jesus is saying here. And so we have our own justifications. We hear them all the time. Like, well, you know, with this racial stuff, it's just, well, I'm not racist, so I don't, I don't need to be concerned. You know, I think it's, there, there's room for an argument here that racism isn't just what you do that's wrong, but it's what you don't do that's right. And so being passive, being inactive, being silent is really a form of racism. We can be complicit and passive and indifferent and be contributing to the hurt that's out there. A lot of times we're afraid or maybe we've been wronged and we have a list of justifications and we do exactly what this lawyer did. Well, at what point do I need to engage? Look around us. What else do we need to wait for? Who else needs to die? What else needs to burn? What else needs to get broke before we realize we have to do something with followers of Christ? Because legislation is good. Um, Meaningful heart, you know, uh, stimulating posts on social media are good, but they're not going to change hearts. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to change your heart. Only Jesus is going to transform a heart, and only transformed hearts are going to make the biggest dent in all levels of injustice. We're talking beyond black and white and brown and colors. We're talking about injustice on every scope of the word. It's got to be those who know Christ, follow Christ, that are going to make the biggest difference. And so this is, this is jumping up in our face even when we read through a text like this. Look, racism... Racial injustice, 
It might not be our fault. But does that mean it's not our responsibility? Not if you understand what Jesus is saying here. Because when someone else is dealing with racial injustice, they're our neighbor. And we need to be the good Samaritan. Overcoming racial barriers to do the right thing. It's okay to apply this text to that understanding. Now again, a lot of us, when we've heard the Good Samaritan parable, boil it down to like just do good things for others. Yes, that's true. But as we see here, there's even more depth and meaning to this. And racial tension is part of it. Jesus was intentional when he used that in this parable. And so we need to be thinking about how it applies to racial situations. Uh, There's a man named Daniel J. Hayes. Uh, He's a theologian and a professor. He wrote a book called From Every People and Nation. Here's what he wrote uh, about this text, along with the situation of racial tension and injustice. He said, the relationship between whites and blacks in America even within the church is remarkably similar to that between Jews and Samaritans of the first century, one that historically has been characterized by prejudicial animosity and distrust with clear boundaries delineating them from us. The Good Samaritan story, especially when placed within the overall theology of Luke and Acts, likewise destabilizes our inherited black-white worldview and challenges us to move beyond the us-them mentality of our culture to an us-us in Christ unity that demolishes the ethnic boundaries of our society. If we shirk the risk and dangers of breaking the ethnic barrier, and if we place our own well-being at the top of our priority list, hiding behind the self-righteous justification of minding my own business, then we become like the priest and the Levite, not like the good Samaritan. I think those are wise words. It's not scripture, but I think they're good words. Look, might not be our fault, all that we're dealing with, all that we've inherited, all that we're seeing displayed on every screen that we see right now. That doesn't mean it's not our responsibility to engage. We have to engage in the name of Christ. So who are you most like right now specifically? We can apply this to all levels of injustice, all levels of people of need. That's definitely the application of the text. But right now, the specific hemorrhaging we see in our culture is racial. And it's black and white and all the other things that are touching that. And so if we're to apply that specifically to where we see hemorrhaging in our culture, who are you most like right now? Are you like a priest? Are you like a Levite? Minding your own business, keeping your distance. That's passivity. That's silence. That's indifference. And it doesn't make any difference in this world, and it's not helping. Can we be like the Good Samaritan here? Can we overcome boundaries? The others have put us into, look, we look on social media right now. One of the most um, blatant messages going on right now is the hidden agenda. There's hidden agendas. There's conspiracy. There's hidden agendas. You're right. There is a hidden agenda. There is a very real devil who subversely is trying to create as much division as possible amongst the body of Christ. Because if the church is divided and not united, we're not going to make a difference. We're not going to make the impact we can. So the devil's like, if I can just get them fighting about politics, if I can just get them fighting about the upcoming election, if I can just get them fighting about black lives and blue lives and all lives, if I can just get them fighting about liberals and conservatives, if I can just get all this infighting going on, I can sit back, watch, laugh, get a kick out of it, and watch them just spin out 
And also we become the, like the priest, the Levites. We're so busy fighting with each other. We don't have time to be a good Samaritan. It has to stop. It has to stop. We need to expose the hidden agenda of the devil and the world's support of that with its infrastructures or lack of and make a difference in the name of Christ. Now look, I don't have all the answers. We're not going to solve hundreds of years of issues in 30 minutes. I'm not going to give you three action steps right now that you're going to go do that are going to fix everything. But there has to be a heart shift. There has to be a mindset change that we say, you know what? I'm not going to be sitting on the sidelines anymore. I'm not going to be passive. I'm not going to be silent. I'm not going to be indifferent. I'm going to step into the fight with love, with care, with praying with people, with learning. I'm going to tell you right now, I need to confess. Like, I've made assumptions. Like, our church is a 30-year-old church. We desire diversity. We have some diversity. We celebrate that. I haven't been as vocal as I need to be. I've been more silent than I should be on this issue. And I confess that to the Lord and to you. This is, this is an issue that's touching our homes. This is, a, this is an issue that's touching our community. And we can't be silent anymore. I'm tired of being silent and we just, we throw out a cute meme, we, th- we, we, we repost another video, we copy and paste someone else's comments, and then we, we give ourselves a pat on the back, and then we just go back to business as usual. Jesus is saying, being the good Samaritan is business as usual. We have to overcome the barriers to get to that place. I just want to know if you're with me. I want to know if we're willing to unite as a body and say, we don't know what all the answers are, but we're going to start learning and so here's just a few ideas of where to start. we got to grieve. Like when we look around what's going on, if you're just getting angry first, I would caution you, some, something's off. The first thing you should feel when we watch the news is grief. We should be heartbroken. And after we grieve, we need, we need to start to listen. Would you listen to people who are different than you? Would you take a chance to just, just listen to what they feel what they think, what they've experienced? Would you be willing to learn? Would you pick up a book on, on racial injustice? Would you, would, you, would you start to read some posts and blogs that are going to make you uncomfortable and maybe expose your passivity, maybe give you ideas of how you can engage? If you don't have a relationship with someone of a different ethnicity, you got to start there. And it has to be genuine. It can't be forced. We understand that. But have you ever made an effort to just go like, I just want to diversify my friendships and learn? We have to pray. We have to love. We have to be the person showing the mercy and the compassion that Jesus is talking about here. We have to take that step. And so I don't know what all those actions are. I'm going to give you a couple questions in a minute. Maybe you can talk with the people in the room that you're with. and have a, Don't have a quick little two-minute conversation. Really really unearth this a little bit. And, and just, just be listening. I know our church is going to be praying and thinking about ways we can engage at a greater level, make a difference, to be that good Samaritan in the issue of racial injustice. And I'm, I'm trying to listen and learn to my African-American friends, my African-American daughter. <laughs> and we know that this is not just a black and white thing. This, this, is, this is far greater than that. We have to be people who fight against injustice. Your God loves justice. He loves mercy. And he wants you to do the same. Now, before transitioning, I just I want to make sure we understand the context of the whole story. The question that started all this <laughs> was a lawyer saying, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life. He was looking for something to do. You know the most beautiful thing about the parable of the Good Samaritan? It's an illustration of God's love for us. 
See, the man in the story was half dead. But you know what God tells us? That when we're not in Christ, we're dead. We're all dead. In fact, we see in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins. In Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, But God, being rich in mercy, rich in mercy, right? Uh, because of the great love which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. You know what the lawyer was missing? He didn't understand God's mercy. He didn't understand God's grace. He didn't understand that the eternal life was something to be received, not achieved. Some of you are too busy trying to achieve a relationship with God through good works, through some sort of special identity that's going to give you some sort of a, a head start. Look, you and I can't love God perfectly. We can't love each other perfectly. We need the Lord. And so really the whole context here is that we can't do it on our own. And so obviously you start to complete the picture you see that Jesus came down he was the good Samaritan in a sense he came he paid the price to take care of us and that price was his death on the cross for our sins and then he gave us a home <laughs> it, it cost a lot more than two denarii <laughs> it cost the blood of Jesus he gave us a home that we have forever he gave us a family to be part of an identity to connect with, an identity that's not about your skin color, an identity that's not about your political persuasion. It's an identity rallied around the God of the universe who made you, loves you, created you, died for you, rose for you so you can be in relationship with him. And so if there's anyone watching this right now that you do not know Christ, then we're begging you to take that next step to know Christ. And we want to help you take that step. And so text Jesus to the number below and just say, hey, I just want to learn more about what it takes to have this relationship with Jesus. Because all the stuff you see going on around you, you can get involved. You can make a difference on some level. But only the relationship with Jesus, only the gospel really will transform and make the ultimate change. So maybe you need to start by getting right with Christ. So again, there's a lot more that can be said on this topic. I think our time right now is to kind of rally our hearts around God's word, rally our hearts around the desire to be unified, to make a difference as an army of good Samaritans marching into this world with love and mercy and compassion and making a difference. Here's two questions I want to leave with you to talk to the people in your room with you today. First question is this, what has the Holy Spirit recently convicted you of when it comes to racial injustice? I've shared with you, now I confess I've, I've been too silent. I've made assumptions that people just knew where I stood because I've got a diverse family. I've got, you know, a white wife, a daughter who's half, half African-American, a daughter who's Chinese, a white son. People can look at our family and just kind of know. People could look at our doctrine, look at our church and just know. No, we have, to, we have to give voice to who we are and what we believe in Christ on these issues. And so what has the Holy Spirit been convicting you of? as you've been dealing with all the things you've seen last week. Second question is, what's a good next step you will take to be a good neighbor on this issue? What's the best next step you can take? And, and I don't know what that is. But I do believe if you're listening to the Holy Spirit, He's going to tell you what it is. And so share that with the people with you. Write it down and start to work toward that next step. I'm going to pray with you. And then again, we know this isn't going to solve everything but it's a step in the right direction. I can't wait to spend the next several months looking at the teachings of Jesus with no filter, just taking it in and trying to align our life to what Jesus taught. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. God, our hearts break for what we see all over our country, all over the world, where we know that, that injustice is a global pandemic. 
The coronavirus was a global pandemic, but we've had injustice as a global pandemic long before coronavirus ever showed up. And it's going to be here long after, Lord, but we know that in the name of Christ and the power of Christ, we can see it be minimized. It can be diminished, Lord, through the power of Christ. And so I pray in the name of Jesus that you help us to be men and women united around Jesus Christ and his power and his blood and his teachings to make a difference in this world. God, for those who don't know you as Savior, would they take that next step? Call us, text us, um, pray to you, talk to you about what it means to follow Christ. God, may you continue to convict us and call us out in the areas where we need to change as individuals, as families, and as a family here at CVC. God, help us to make a difference. God, may we not be the priest, not be the Levite, but be the Good Samaritan. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.